This is the Taz and Jim Podcast. We've got Halloween coming up this weekend, of course. You know, a couple nice things about Halloween landing the way it's landed this year. One, the adults can have their their fun on Saturday night, and you can do all the the adult costume parties and uh, that sort of stuff. And then the trick-or-treating on Sunday... It's not a, uh, you know, it's a day off, so you have all day to prepare, and mm-hmm. it's not a big, crazy rush like it is when you're doing it during the week. But another nice thing I didn't think about until five minutes ago, work costumes. You know you know how awkward it is when not only you have to wear a costume to work, but you have to uh, interact with people who are dressed up as <laughs> Scooby-Doo or Shaggy and you're trying to do serious business. And, serious radio business. And yeah, but not us in particular, sure. but I can remember. You go to the bank, you're trying to get a loan and the girl's just like a bumblebee. Like This is my whole life on the line here. <laughs> exactly. I've always found it a little weird. First five minutes, fun. It's like, oh, Gary from HR, great costume, buddy. But then when you walk by Gary's office later and he's doing an Excel spreadsheet sitting at his computer (laughs) (laughs) dressed as Frankenstein. Yeah, yeah. uh, The fun is kind of taken right out of it. So And then when when only like thirty percent of the people dress up and then other people don't and it's kinda awkward. The whole crew is dressed up, it's one thing. It's a blessing that uh, Halloween is on a Sunday. There's probably still people tomorrow. Uh, on the Friday closest to that will be wearing costumes, but mm-hmm. not as many if it was the actual day. Um, 57% of people, this is an online survey, 57% of people say their company will celebrate Halloween in one way or another this year. And one in seven people have seen a co-worker wear an inappropriate Halloween costume to work. Oh, that's 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 not the time to be edgy, probably. Have you seen an inappropriate Halloween costume at work? Not at work, no. I have. Oh, boy. And it was my boss wearing it. Okay. <laughs> this, is, this is years and years ago. Um, working at a rock radio station, and my boss showed up for work dressed as Jimi Hendrix. That's fine. Well, Uh-oh. like Wait Justin Trudeau style, oh. Jimi Hendrix. He, he went, uh, went a little too far with his costume. Mm-hmm. And I kind of pulled him aside. I was just a kid at this time. I'm like 21. I'm like, "Uh, dude, what are you thinking? He's like, oh, what? It's fine. Uh, I don't think it was. Yeah, yeah. That was the clashing of the generations because there was like in the 80s. Like I remember seeing a picture of like my dad's friend. I don't know who it was, but he was dressed as Mr. T. Uh-huh. With the same thing going on, and I was, and it was just a different, yeah. different time. Well, this was really on the cusp yeah. of people realizing yeah. that that is not something you do. Mm-hmm. Um, but he did it. <laughs> it was like a Michael Scott from The Office situation. <laughs> I would he was say so happy for himself. Too, I probably. would say it was the the closest I've ever felt to uh, being to working at Dunder Mifflin. (laughs) (laughs) The effort that probably went into the costume. He's just completely oblivious. No, it's fine. No, it's (laughs) okay. I'm doing it out of respect. All right. Whatever you think. We're joined by Devin Peacock, our sports guy. Hey, Dev. Hey, guys. Yesterday on the show, we were discussing the scandal involving the Chicago Blackhawks and their handling of alleged sexual abuse within their organization. There was an unidentified player at the time 
um, who says that he was put in a situation and sexually abused by a video coach by the name of Brad Aldrich back in 2011, 2010, sorry. Um, And we didn't know who this player was. I was very surprised that the player himself decided to not only be identified, but to speak on TSN yesterday. Kyle Beach is the player. Um, Kudos to him for talking out. Kudos to TSN for giving him that platform yesterday. If you've watched the interview, it's unimaginable. And that's why it was so surprising to me that, that he decided to speak because you can't even comprehend the courage that would take to confront this thing head on and put yourself in a public forum to have this discussion when you were the victim of something like this so many years ago, Dev. Yeah, just an incredible amount of uh, courage, as you say. You know, there's um, a stat that I saw yesterday that kind of uh, really resonated with me, and I think uh, really speaks to the importance of uh, Kyle Beach speaking yesterday. Uh, One in six men experience uh, sexual abuse or assault, and uh, sexual abuse or assault for men is not something we talk about a lot. And so there are going to be people who saw Kyle Beach speaking yesterday, talking about his experience, who know they're not alone and know there is someone out there uh, who has gone through what they may have gone through. And knowing you aren't alone is a big part of this. Unfortunately, What Kyle Beach went through 11 years ago made him feel alone because the actions of so many in the Chicago Blackhawks basically left him alone, which is one of the many aspects that's just so tragic about this. The Blackhawks denied it. They said they didn't, but they said they did an investigation. They said my claims were meritless. To me, I took that as them telling, saying to the world that I was a liar, that I was lying. And to have these individuals like Paul Vincent and Nick Boynton and Torchetti and Sopel come forward, then I knew I wasn't alone. He did give some shout-outs to the people within the organization who supported him through this, but also mentioned that there was homophobic slurs within the locker room, and he feels that, that this was not a secret at any level within the Chicago Blackhawks organization that everybody knew this story. It got around, and he was ostracized for it. Yeah. Uh, what's really frustrating for me watching this from the media point of view is it took Rick Westhead and Katie Strong, who was with The Athletic, to really break this wide open. And how many you know insiders do we have in the NHL who – would have, in my opinion, known or heard something about this, and nothing came forward. Uh, the Florida Panthers yesterday had a game, and the uh, media team that was calling the game did not mention this. Uh, the idea that they are still not talking about it speaks to how much work still has to be done, not just in hockey, but also in media, because Joel Quenville is the coach of the Florida Panthers. He was 
the coach of the Chicago Blackhawks. He said earlier he didn't know until recently, and there is proof he knew 11 years ago. There is so much that could have been done for Kyle Beach that wasn't, and it is just infuriating. I'm I'm concerned that the the NHL would go this far to cover for a no name video coach. How far would they go, or have they gone to cover up for, let's say, a famous head coach or a star player? I mean, is this is this just the you know tip of the iceberg, Dev? It's a good question. I mean, here's one of the many stupid things about how the NHL has handled this. They fined the Chicago Blackhawks two million dollars for this when this report came out on Tuesday. Uh, people reported and, and pointed out that they fined the New Jersey Devils $3 million for cap circumvention when they signed Ilya Kovalchuk a couple of years ago. So cap circumvention garners a bigger fine than this, which is just ridiculous. One of the many heartbreaking things that Kyle Beach uh, said yesterday was he apologized to the high school student who ended up being sexually assaulted by Brad Aldrich. Of all the people in this story who should be apologizing, it is not Kyle Beach. It is virtually everybody else. The idea yeah. that he felt the necessary it was ne- it was necessary to apologize is again just one of the aspects that you it's you know if, if they're going to cover up this as you say, Jim, what else are they willing to cover up? Because this is about as bad as it gets. But I don't think that's uncommon when it comes to sexual assault, especially if you're sexually assaulted at a, at a young age. What uh, Beach said he did was, you know, this is obviously weighed on him since it happened. And he decided to Google the name Brad Ulrich, the, the video coach, to see what he was doing. And when he saw that story come up about the, uh, the high school teen in Michigan who had been assaulted by Aldrich, that is what he thanked the teen as well because he said that was the moment he knew he had to come forward with this and he could not remain silent anymore because he could not ha- let it happen to another, another boy. What I do hope comes from this as well is, you know, as we are all absorbing this story, we are viewing it from uh, the perspective of 11 years later. Uh, There needs to be obviously support for those who are the victims of sexual abuse and assault. But I think we also need to have more of a knowledge to help those to help those who are in the position of Kyle Beach, because and I'm not absolving any Chicago Blackhawks player of anything or what what the case might be, but do people know when they're in the moment, do they know what to do if there is a situation like this? Uh, we can say 11 years later, I would have done this, I would have done that. Again, I'm not absolving anyone of anything, but there needs to be, I think, more done to uh, be able to have people in a position so they can feel confident helping another person if this situation arrives. Uh, because we know it will. One in six men will experience sexual abuse or assault. It's easy to say 11 years later, I would have done this, I would have done that. But I think a lot of people in the moment freeze, and we can't freeze when someone isn't help or needs help. I think what Kyle Beach did yesterday could cause a major shift with this issue. Also, I I think it, it helps men understand when you see a big, strong hockey player like this and you, you see how devastated he has been by this one incident and how it has just changed his life for the negative. 
um, you you get an understanding whether it's male or female. The the trauma and the guilt, the shame that victims of sexual assault have to live with. And uh, again, like you can't put into words how how courageous and how brave it was for him to tackle this head on. And hopefully it's the start of a move in the right direction. Devin Peacock, thank you for the, your time this morning. We appreciate you sharing uh, your thoughts on the story. Thanks, guys. Daniel from ghostwalks.com is with us, does some great ghost walks, a little outing around this time of year, perfect, around the Taz and Jim listening area, ghostwalks.com for more. And we're talking about the ghost of Ambrose Small. He was a theater owner back in the day. The Tivoli in Hamilton was one of his theaters. Employees swear they still see his spirit wandering the halls making little cameos on stage here and there. (laughs) (laughs) And he also owned uh, the Grand Theater in London. And is that where we're going next here, Daniel? So this this is a really interesting one because every one of Ambrose's small theaters that still exist claim to have his ghost. I already mentioned the one from the Tivoli in Hamilton. But there is an interesting story from the Grand Theater. Now, I know there's multiple ones. This is the one that stood out to me. Uh, they were doing renovations on the theater at one point. It looks very modern, and this is the reason why. So when they were tearing some stuff in the auditorium area, they had this small bulldozer that had been set near the stage, and the bulldozer's task was to take down this 1970s front facade on the stage that just they didn't like anymore. So it's about to, to dig into this facade, uh, but then the bulldozer stalls. So the guy is confused. He tries to start it back up. It finally kicks back in. And as he's about to smash into the facade again, the bulldozer stalls. So at this point, they just kind of give up. They're going to start taking things down by hand. And as they start tearing away at the initial wall, what they revealed behind... Is Please say they- Ambrose Small's body. <laughs> Please say Ambrose Small's body. Actually, I'll, I'll swing around to that. Uh, <laughs> Hamilton actually has Andrew's small body. So I, oh, they so found I it? I'll, I'll tell you in a second. Okay, okay. okay. So, so what's behind the wall of the, in the Grand Theater? So when they started taking that down, uh, what they found behind, just like right behind, was an original priceless uh, facade that used to be an archway over top of the, the first stage of the Grand. So if that bulldozer would have smashed through, it would have destroyed this amazing historic artifact. Mm. So they say like that something Ambrose, Ambrose was trying them. to stop him. Like, yeah, guys, yeah, you like don't know he, what you have here. There. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so they found his body, or, or Hamilton claims to have Ambrose's body? Well, supposedly we did, but in true Hamilton style, we screwed it up. We, uh, we had uh, <laughs> inside the Tivoli... They revealed this uh, small storage space used to be off of a courtyard and uh, during renovations. And when they brought out these steamer trunks that were inside, they found amazing things like old movie reels, uh, poster, posters from vaudeville days. And there was this weird rusted out trunk in the back of the room. Oh, God. And when they, they, yeah, they pulled it out, they opened it up, and what they found inside was what looked like a human skeleton. Now, they thought it was a prop maybe from the vaudeville days but it did look very real and at the time there was no forensics team in hamilton so they had to call one in from toronto 
but I mean, this is not a current murder or anything, so they took their time. And when they finally arrived to look at the skeleton, it had been mistakenly thrown out with the trash animations. <laughs> so that could have been Ambrose's body. It could have been. It could have been. I mean, now he's probably somewhere in some uh, junkyard somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> oh, man. So close. <laughs> well, if you see a Victorian homeless dude walking around the dump in Hamilton, let us know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, ghostwalks.com. Daniel, uh, still some availability, I know, for your Niagara on the Lake Ghost Walk. If people want to check that out over the uh, next few days, ghostwalks.com. Thanks for uh, sending shivers down our spine here, Daniel. Great to have you on again. Thanks for having me. Happy Halloween, everybody. We're getting ready for a spooky weekend with a radio ghost walk. Daniel is with us from ghostwalks.com. And where are we starting off here, Daniel? Well, I'm going to start you guys in Hamilton, right? But I'm going to round about and we're going to end up in London. So it starts in Hamilton with the old Tivoli Theater. Now, this was a beautiful theater that used to be on James Street here until it fell down in, in 2004. So we had tons of ghost stories inside this place, but there was one main spirit that, that stood out, and it was first seen by some of the theater employees. So they would go up to the manager and tell him that they thought that a, a homeless man had somehow gotten into the building and was, was staying in there. Uh, they would see him on the stage when they were up on the balcony, just this, this man walking into the darkness. They, they see him out of the corner of their eye. He would, he would walk around corners and disappear. And the witnesses who were able to, to kind of make out some details, they said he was dressed oddly. He had like this old-fashioned suit on. He had a bowler hat on his head. And he had a massive mustache on his face. So it was very old-fashioned. Yeah, old-timey so, guy. Old-timey guy, yeah. And so they started calling him, and I quote, the Victorian homeless dude. <laughs> Starts real classy. Yeah. You were, you were, you were really working up to something there. I wasn't expecting Victorian homeless dude. <laughs> Don't worry, it gets free here. Okay. So the manager, uh, he was a big, like a big history nut. And he kind of recognized this, this odd description. So he goes across the street into the library and he gets this book on theater history in Canada. And he shows the witnesses a picture in the book. And uh, the witnesses agree that that looks like the guy they saw. Now, the picture was a man named Ambrose Small. The, the thing here is, though, he was a theater owner back in the early 1900s. So he owned uh, the Tivoli, which was then called the Princess. He owned Toronto's Grand Opera. And he owned, as well, the Grand Theatre in London. But one day in 1919, he decides he doesn't want to be in the business anymore. So he sells everything. Gets a cool million dollars, which is a huge amount at the time. And he walks away. Now, when I say walk away, he walked away from the business, but he also walked away from life. Because a few days after he signed the deal to sell his theaters, he just disappeared. Hmm. It's one of the most famous disappearances in Canadian history. Wow. It's uh, also the uh, the basis of Alanis Morissette's song, Ironic, I believe. I sold my theaters and disappeared the next day. <laughs> Isn't it ironic? Man. What is the speculation that somebody knew he had this money and maybe abducted him for it or 
Well, that was it, right? So the, the multiple uh, police chiefs had gotten on this one. They put detectives because it was so high profile. And uh, they looked at his wife. His wife uh, hated his guts because he constantly cheated on her. Mm. And, uh, you know, they, but they, 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 they decided in the end that she wasn't capable of murder. I thought maybe the wife hated him because his name was Ambrose Small and he lived up to his name, if you know what I mean. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I hope that's not worth murdering. So it, it wasn't the wife. Who else is on the suspect list? Uh, so they finally look at the uh, the assistant. So this was a man named John Dowdy, and he uh, they looked at him. They were they were questioning him, and then he just he also ups and disappears. So they put out you know word to everybody you know trying to find this guy, and they found him in uh, in uh, I believe it was Oregon in the United States, and he had been there under a different name. So they got him. They bring him back, and they try him for murder, but. It turns out they don't have a murder weapon, and they don't have a body. Mm. So there's no evidence that they could use. And in the end, they just got him on some embezzlement. He stole some of Ambrose's money. We believe it was John, and there's no proof of it, though, and no body to kind of link it to him. But there is something walking around the Tivoli and the Grand Theater, possibly. We've heard about ghosts in the Grand as well. It could be Ambrose checking on his old theaters. Yeah, so those theaters are, are two of the only ones left. Uh, the Toronto Grand Opera was long demolished. But I do have a story from the Grand in London as well. Perfect. Let's hear that coming up. More with Daniel from ghostwalks.com as we gear up for Halloween. Jim, we got to get our, ourselves into the art world. Yeah? Seems like an easy way to make money. <laughs> With abstract art, sometimes it seems like it for sure. How about the guy, wasn't there a guy a couple months ago, he got commissioned to do an artwork for a gallery, got paid like tens of thousands of dollars, and he just gave them two empty frames and called his piece, Take the Money and Run. Yeah, and said, hey, it's, it's performance art, so I took all the museum's money and gave them and nothing. didn't paint anything. See what I did there? Or you could tape a banana to a wall nowadays. It's worth uh, thousands and thousands of dollars. And this is the latest one. This is brilliant, actually. Okay, a an art collective in New York recently bought an original Andy Warhol drawing. It cost them $20,000. And now they're going to sell it for $250 to one lucky person. Okay. Now, how does that make fiscal sense? Because they're offering it alongside 999 other pieces, which are forgeries of the Andy Warhol drawing that is the original. And you buy for 250 what is either a forgery or the real, and you have no idea. So you have a 1 in 1,000 chance of getting the real Andy Warhol. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So it's kind of like a lottery, more or less. Yeah. So they sell a thousand. That's two hundred and fifty thousand dollars on a twenty thousand dollar investment. Hmm. They say it's not about the money. It's meant to make a point about valuing authenticity over Shut the art off. itself. <laughs> you know, they can justify anything by calling it art. Yeah. But, it's uh, art. It is kind of you know, those odds are pretty good for two hundred and fifty thousand and one in one thousand shot. The investment two fifty pretty expensive two hundred fifty dollars yeah. yeah they will make two hundred and fifty thousand I'm just thinking like how much I've spent like at one go on fifty uh, fifty tickets hoping to get 
twenty thousand dollars. You know, I've spent fifty bucks on fifty fifty tickets to get that's true. You know, like twenty thousand. Yeah, so to get something worth twenty grand, and this is U.S. dollars we're talking about. Yeah, maybe you want to take a, a chance. Google possibly real copies of Fairies by Andy Warhol. <laughs> that's what uh, that's what you're going to be buying. Possibly a real copy of the sketch Fairies by Andy Warhol. I wonder if the drawing itself is any good either. No, it's not. I just looked it up. It looks like a child child drew it. I don't know. I can't I I have I'm the worst artist critic of all. I don't know what's good, but this looks like a child drew it in grade 3. It's better than a banana tape to the wall, but barely. <laughs> the winner is Devin Peacock. I want to see you peacock. Cock, cock, cock. You peacock, cock. You peacock, Time for sports. Cock, Devin Peacock, peacock thank you for, for all your time this morning. We are uh, going to have to chat about the World Series here. Unfortunately for the Braves, it was a switcheroo, basically, with the score flipping in the favor of the Astros last night for Game 2. Yeah, the uh, Houston Astros uh, really uh, rebounded pretty quickly. Uh, they didn't, I mean, they've been known during the playoffs for some of their uh, uh, efforts uh, later in the game to really uh, put on the pressure. They came out strong early in the game last night uh, and really uh, showed why they're in the World Series. They're, I mean, they're a good team, but they got off to a fast start. Here's the good news if you're uh, uh, cheering for the Atlanta Braves like I am, because I do not want to see Houston win this. Uh, they did what they needed to do. They got a split in Houston. They're going back to Atlanta, tied 1-1. And while you'd want to win both, uh, coming back with a split is pretty good. They've uh, taken away home field advantage from the Astros. And more good news. We got World Series baseball on Friday night and Saturday night this weekend. That's great. Lighter side of baseball. Some stories that have been making you chuckle here, Dev. Yeah, I, I love the New York Mets search for a new president of baseball operations. Uh, they have had uh, Sandy Alderson, who is their uh, current uh, baseball operations uh, chief, running uh, the team in the interim. He stepped away, but had to return after their GM was caught uh, drunk driving and is now on administrative uh, leave. That happened back in August. So they're looking for a whole new front office, and they just cannot find anyone who wants the job. <laughs> they approached the Toronto Blue Jays to talk to Mark Shapiro. Blue Jays said no. They just signed him to an extension a little while ago. Uh, they also reached out to the St. Louis Cardinals. Their GM is not interested. Uh, they talked to the LA Dodgers. Their assistant GM is not yeah. interested. The, the poor Mets. Nobody wants to work for the Mets. The Milwaukee Brewers turned them down for two different people. The Oakland A's turned them down. Uh, and Theo Epstein, who doesn't even have a job in baseball right now, he <laughs> stepped away from the Chicago Cubs a couple of days ago or a couple of years ago. He does not want the job. No one wants to work for the New York Mets. And an interesting development with the renaming of the Cleveland baseball team. Yeah, I guess it could be worse for the New York Mets. They could be be sued by a men's roller derby team because that's what's happening to the Cleveland Guardians right now. There is a men's flat track roller derby team in Cleveland called the Guardians, and they are upset that the uh, Cleveland Indians are going to be switching to the Cleveland Guardians and say they, Major League Baseball would not allow them to, say, become the Guardians after the Guardians became the Guardians, if that makes any sense for people. So they are going to court trying to block 
the Major League Baseball team from using their same name, which I think is almost a gift in in surprise, in secret for Cleveland, because I think the Guardians' name is terrible. So you think mm. this is their out? <laughs> yeah. You know, guys, we can't step on the uh, the men's roller derby league's toes here. <laughs> We're going to have to change this name. <laughs> it's a terrible name. Take the loss. Find a better name. <laughs> Call or text anytime. One- the OPP have been busy this week, Jim. Yeah? Did you hear about the big chocolate heist in Norfolk County? I did hear rumblings of this. Right mm. around Halloween, too. Monday, just after 3 o'clock, police received a call that a transport truck was stolen from a business in Charlottesville. The trailer was filled with $100,000 worth of Hershey and Ferrero Rocher chocolate. Oh, the fancy Ferrero Rocher. He must have been tailing this one for weeks. <laughs> Is that real gold they wrap those things with? I think so. I just picture the Fast and Furious guys driving up next to the truck, jumping off onto it. (laughs) Shooting harpoons through the side of it with chains attached. We got it. I wonder if there's any uh, Raffaellos in there. You know the Raffaellos? My wife's favorite. No, what is that? Is that Ferrero Rocher too or what? I think it's made by Ferrero. They're like the same style, like a ball that comes in the little thing, with, but it's the coconut one. Ah, uh, yeah, The white-colored yeah. one. Those are fancy. If I could hijack a truck full of those, my wife would love me forever. <laughs> I wonder if they knew what was in the truck, because a lot of times it's just an empty truck, and they got a fifth-wheel truck, and they just like, pull up to whatever trailer it is. Or, sorry, I mean empty trailer, and they just But they take... stole the whole truck here. Oh, they did? Okay. Yeah, because they have recovered the, uh, the, the truck, but the trailer and the chocolate still missing. <laughs> they got the booty. Anyone with information about the missing chocolate is asked to contact Norfolk County OPP. I'm <laughs> just picturing three guys in a in the questioning room at the police station. They got chocolate all over their faces. <laughs> Did you guys take the chocolate? I don't know. Here's another one. OPP had to uh, respond to a plane that landed on the 407 this week. This is wild. Yesterday in the morning, a plane took off from Buttonville, had engine failure, tried to turn back, said there wasn't time, so they had to take her down on the 407, which I guess in terms of of uh, roads to take things down on, 407 would be a good one. It's a little less uh, less populated with vehicles, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. And like in the video, there there's a car, like there's very rare... Like, there's, like, three cars in the 30-second video, so he had plenty of space, but thank goodness. Yeah, nobody was hurt. Pilot's okay. Plane was intact. Su- successful landing. Uh, now he's just got to wait for that bill in the mail from the 407 people. <laughs> yeah, I hope he covered his license plate somehow. <laughs> don't know what that's going to cost him. I, I don't believe the plane had a transponder in it either. <laughs> you peacock. Hey, it's time for sports. Devin Peacock, our sports guy, joins us from Global News Radio. Dev, you wearing your suit today? You know, uh, Taz and Jim show rules. You got to wear your suit every morning so we feel like a team. I'm not even wearing pants right now, guys. (laughs) You don't have to wear pants. Just on the Zoom call, we just need to see a blazer and a tie. (laughs) I'm still working from home. Uh, I'm I'm going uh, pretty cash right now, pretty casual. What is, uh, what's going on with the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, relaxing the rules when it comes to players showing up in their game day suits? 
Well, uh, many teams in the NHL, like pretty much every other professional sport, has uh, relaxed uh, their uh, requirements for how players are uh, asked to uh, to dress themselves. The NBA did this a couple of years ago. Major League Baseball doesn't uh, require players to dress in suits to arrive at the uh, games. Uh, the NFL doesn't do it. I mean, some people choose to, but it's not an absolute requirement. This caught the attention of Don Cherry the other day. He... <laughs> kind of funny in a way he said he looked like he's going to a barbecue and that he was having a tough time getting dressed based on uh, the outfit that i guess he saw austin matthews wearing frankly i mean it's kind of long overdue for the nhl to maybe uh, take the uh, the stick out of its behind and maybe relax a little bit with the uh, the game day attire I, I disagree i like the suits they're not hard to wear. like they look great number one um, but I think, I think it makes the, the game look professional. I think it makes the guys behave in a professional manner when they're, when they're doing the press stuff. And I think it makes the team bond together because you're all wearing the same thing. Like you all have a dress code. And I think the logic behind it is it increases the chemistry of the team. If I was Don Cherry, I wouldn't be making that argument about Austin Matthews because Austin Matthews, I think he's been on the cover of like GQ. Like he's viewed as one of the most fashionable guys in the NHL, you don't have to wear a suit to be fashionable. He puts uh, some effort into looking, whether it's maybe uh, a bit uh, messy or not. If, it, if it's messy, it's like purposely messy. Hey, look at this, Austin Matthews. His collar is way too short. It should be pushing his neck up towards <laughs> his forehead. Well, see, that's the thing. Now, now that you know, now whatever they wear is a distraction, whether you like the suits or not. You know, when you when you're all wearing a suit, it's all uniform. That's why they call it a uniform, and then it's it means nothing. You just show up to the game, and it's but guys n- wouldn't wear the same suits. They wear different suits. You, you have like the the blue flashy checkered suits, and the you know like guys were getting creative with the suits they were wearing as well, Jim. It's not sure, like- but they were still suits. Like I mean, like what are you going to show up with? Uh, you know, Hawaiian sh- like now it's a variable of the same uniform. How about this? every lawyer wears a suit? Like you know, many businesses wear suits as part of the dress code. Why is it so hard for the NHL guys to wear a suit? How about this? All the guys to just arrive at the game bare chested, with each with a different letter on their chest that it spells out their mantra for that game, so they could just all arrive together, linked arms, and it says "believe" across yeah. their chest. Yeah. <laughs> as long as they're in it together. <laughs> yeah, what if they all dress like Magnum P.I. with the Hawaiian shirts and the baseball That's caps, cool. That's cool. I want right? a team effort. <laughs> as long as they're matchy-matchy, Jim Kelly is happy-happy. <laughs> it's Taz and Jim. Just got a text message here from Dave. Says, I love listening to three guys who are probably wearing sweatpants or tracksuits talk about how NHL players don't dress nice enough. <laughs> <laughs> I 100% am wearing an Adidas uh, tracksuit jacket right yep. now. Taz married a Ukrainian gal. Now all of a sudden, he's all he's wearing is Adidas tracksuits. That's how I landed her, buddy. <laughs> it's called the Ukrainian tuxedo. Yeah, you're rocking it. <laughs> Head to toe Adidas. <laughs> no shirt underneath, gold chain. Yeah, you know the Ukrainian national team is wearing that to their practices and games for sure. Uh, Jim, you just believe, you think it's a nice touch for a professional organization to show up to a game wearing nice suits. Yeah, it's camaraderie, it's tradition. And I think, 
You know, it's like look good, feel good. When you're wearing a suit, it's like power and authority. And it, even if it if it gives you a one percent advantage, would you not take that advantage? I would. But what if it doesn't give you that advantage? And wearing a tracksuit does. What if you're a, more of a a function over fashion guy? If psychologists want to uh, figure that out and say that does work too, I'm I'm for it. But suits that does psychologically work for people usually. I get it when you're younger and it, it's kind of about uh, developing a routine for for young people, and mm-hmm. you have to dress this way on on game day, and you have to show respect to the game and your coaches and listen to what they say. It's almost like a um, uh, like a wax on, wax off is the karate kid. Like he makes him clean the car. I don't want to clean the car. Well, really, I'm teaching you, getting you to clean the car because I want you to learn how to listen to me. But they still need to learn that at every level of the game. A rookie needs to learn that lesson when they enter the NHL as well. Sure. Why is it so hard to wear a suit? I don't get it. They look awesome. They probably get most of them for free. And they're paid millions of dollars to represent the league and look good. What's wrong with that? Next week, I want you to show up every day in a suit. If No, no, no. Because I'll that's wear not... one, too. Okay, okay. You think it'll make the show better? For sure it would. It would make our staff photos way better. <laughs> if we went out into public, we'd get more respect, for sure. <laughs> it is uh, what it is. Well, it's a good thing the Leafs came back. You know, let's not talk about what they're wearing. Let's talk about how they're playing. They came back and won that game against the Blackhawks last night because it was not looking good. Yeah, down 2 nothing in the first period. Black, I love watching the Leafs Hawks Twitter. Haven't, uh, they, they haven't won a game for like seven or eight games, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously there's a huge distraction going on over there. Was everyone jumping off the bandwagon at the after the first yeah, period? Yeah, yeah. This team, sir, I don't know why I do this. They pulled it out! <laughs> <laughs> I love Thank you very much for checking out the Taz and Jim podcast. If you want to listen to us the old-fashioned way, live on the radio, you can do that on FM 96 in London or Y108 in Hamilton weekday mornings from 5.30 until 9.30. Or subscribe, keep downloading the podcast, and we'll keep talking. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.